Part One, Chapter Three of the Uttermost Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Uttermost Star and Other Gleams of Fancy by Frank W. Borum. Picking Up the Pile Light. To passengers below, dressing in the cabins or breakfasting in the saloon, the measured and rhythmic throb of the engines was the only indication that the great ship was in motion. After a smooth and uneventful run across Bass Straits, the Lungana was gliding swiftly across the broad, unruffled waters of Port Phillip Bay. In an hour's time we would confidently hope to be greeting friends ashore. But just then, to our profound disappointment, the unexpected happened right ahead of us a long low leaden bank of fog lay languidly across the waters blotting out all trace of land the lungana pushed her bows straight into it and in a few minutes we could scarcely see the vessel's length in any direction clouds of gray misty vapor drifted to and fro and nothing was visible to us but a narrow circle of sea the bells in the engine room rang out sharply communicating to the powerful turbines below the will of the officer high up on the bridge the ship perceptibly slackened her pace the bells rang out again and the ship moved still more slowly she simply crawled her loud and raucous siren proclaimed to all the craft in the vicinity her sure approach every few minutes great ghostly ships lying at anchor sprang suddenly out of the mist we were almost up to them before we saw their tall and shadowy mass looming spectrally above us more ringing of bells and the engine stopped altogether then after a pause we crept cautiously forward again like a man groping his way in the dark the apparitions that came suddenly upon us and that as suddenly vanished again were all of them the ghosts of things movable from not one of them could we glean any sure knowledge as to our exact position here is a clumsy old dredge there lies a tall ship riding at anchor yonder is a snorting little motor-boat but nothing fixed nothing stable nothing reliable we are whelmed in uncertainty a little later came the change which i have set out to describe but at this stage we were enveloped in the haze and surrounded by objects from which our position could not with confidence be reckoned such an experience has three perils there's the danger of getting into shallow water and going aground. There's the danger of running down some other vessel. And there is the danger of being ourselves run down. All three of these disasters are fairly common. I fancy I have noticed that the people who get into the shallows of life and become stranded there are invariably people who were getting on very rapidly without being quite certain of their course. Although the horizon was by no means clear, and no fixed object stood bravely out to guide them they found a certain exhilaration in continuing at topmost speed unhappily in such cases the exhilaration does not last there is nothing particularly exhilarating in being stuck in the mud and worse still there is certainly nothing very exhilarating in being fast on a jagged reef in either of these situations a ship becomes a misery to herself and a menace to all the craft around her i remember years ago seeing the elginshire hard and fast on the rocks on the east coast of new zealand she had been wrecked on her maiden trip 
there she stood a fine vessel as erect as a ship in port it seemed incredible that looking so trim and taut she was nevertheless wrecked beyond redemption the new zealand government eventually ordered her to be blown up lest other ships seeing her lying there in apparent safety should be decoyed by her to a similar fate on the whole it is better to forfeit the exhilaration and to proceed slowly with bells clanging and sirens screaming and then of course there is the risk of a collision it would be distinctly unpleasant to see looming darkly out in the mist and bearing down upon us the gigantic proportions of some huge liner several times as large as our own ship it was thus that the empress of ireland perished in the fog on the st lawrence a few years ago these deafening blasts on the siren are contrivance for our own protection and for other people's george macdonald tells of a blind man who always carried a lantern people used to ask him of what use the lantern could be to his sightless eyes i do not carry it he replied to prevent my stumbling over others but to keep them from stumbling over me the man who uncertain as to his course goes calmly on without any way expressing his perplexity is courting a most terrible disaster by his very silence he may easily destroy his own ship or somebody else's yes his own or somebody else's and the other people's ships are worth thinking about once in my new zealand days i revisited england shall i ever forget the excitement of sighting the english coast and of anchoring in plymouth sound we sent telegrams to the home folks telling them the exact hour at which they might expect us next day then once more the great ship stood out to sea and began her voyage up the channel and off the nore down came the fog down too to our unspeakable disgust with the anchor there we waited and waited and waited half defeated by the screamings and hootings of the horns that answered to our own and half blinded by the frantic efforts that we made to pierce the all-enshrouding mists and see the land near by presently the captain came sauntering along the deck a picture of colossal calm this is very exasperating i observed we sent telegrams from plymouth telling people at home when to meet us and they'll be waiting at the docks now is there no possibility of getting on all very fine for you the skipper replied cheerily you are on a ten thousand ton liner and you would like me to go on up the river crumpling everything we happen to strike as though it were made of brown paper no no we've got the other ships to think of to be sure we have the other ships to think of many a time since when the thick fogs have enveloped me and i have been uncertain of my course and have nevertheless been tempted to go full steam ahead i have recalled the old sea captain's rebuke there are others to think of but i spoke just now of the change that came later it came quite suddenly all at once the clamorous bells in the engine-room became busy again the powerful turbines at the stern are once more churning the water into foam and very soon a broad wake lies out behind the steamer she is moving forward not timorously but with obvious confidence what has happened to effect so striking a change ah away to the right we can make out through the haze the rude ungainly timbers of the pile light it is not much to look at but it is at least a fixture it is something to argue from 
a shag stands perched upon it craning his neck and staring timidly at us perhaps the strange appearance of the enshrouded ship alarms him for when we get abreast of him he spreads his wings and keeping close to the surface of the water flies to a more distant perch going at this rate we soon penetrate the bank of fog the land breaks suddenly upon us we are out in the sunshine again the low leaden wall of mist lies gloomily across the bay behind us before us are wharves houses trees and the entrance to the river and the city in the distance the sighting of the pile light made just all the difference it always does he is the skilful mariner whose vigilant and practised eye is swift to discern amidst the haze of shifting things life's fixed and stable qualities the captain on the bridge saw the pile light long before i did i felt the new and confident movement of the ship and looked about in surprise for an explanation of the change the sighting of the pile light marked the transition from doubt to certainty and life knows no greater transition than that those who have followed the adventures of george fielding in it is never too late to mend will remember the search for the lost cattle george took jackie the black fellow and they set out under a broiling australian sun presently jackie broke the silence abruptly i find one said he where where cried george looking all round jackie pointed to a rising ground at least six miles off george groaned are you making a fool of me i can see nothing but a barren hill with a few great bushes here and there you are never taking those bushes for beasts jackie smiled with utter scorn white fellow stupid fellow he see nothing well and what does blackfellow see snapped george blackfellow see a crow coming from the sun and when he came over there he turned and went down and not get up again a good while then blackfellow say i think presently come flying one more crow from that other side where the sun is not blackfellow watch him and when he come over there he turn round and go down too and not get up a good while then the black fellows say i know they tramped the six miles climbed the hill and found one of george's best bullocks at its last gasp with tongue protruding a crow perched upon its ribs i think said jackie to himself and in his uncertainty he simply sauntered by his puzzled master's side and kept his eyes wide open i know said jackie and with that brave confession came his master's enlightenment and a new and brisker pace i think said the captain of the lungana and we crawled slowly and painfully and cautiously forward i know said the captain of the lungana on sighting the pile light and the whole behaviour of the ship was changed life holds few greater transitions than that notable transition from the realm of i think to the realm of i know carlyle never forgot the hour of that transition it is from that hour he says that i date my spiritual new birth or baphometic fire baptism perhaps i directly thereupon began to be a man what was it asked dr fitchett in his life of wesley what was it that happened in that little room in aldersgate street on the night of may twenty fourth seventeen thirty eight something did happen something memorable something enduring 
it changed wesley's life it transfigured weakness into power nay it did something more it changed the course of history and what was it it was dr fitchett says the passage of wesley's soul from the realm of doubt to the realm of certainty that night wesley sighted the pile light caught a glimpse of things that are immovable and his life took on a new spirit and a new temper of consequence a very similar experience visited the soul of john bunyan after i had been in this miserable condition some three or four days as i was sitting by the fire i suddenly felt this word to sound in my heart i must go to jesus at this my former darkness and atheism fled away and the blessed things of heaven were set in my view while i was on this sudden thus overtaken with surprise wife said i now i know i know oh that night was a good night to me i never knew but few better i longed for the company of some of god's people that i might have imparted to them what god had showed me christ was a special christ to my soul that night i could scarce lie in bed for the joy and peace and triumph through christ bunyan had sighted the pile light it is wonderful how little we need to see the captain on the bridge could not see the land nor the houses nor the trees nor any of the thousand and one things that he could generally see from that spot but he could see one fixed object and that sufficed him i used to think that before my soul could move forward with confidence she must see everything i thought that before i could venture with any assurance upon the religious life i must understand the story of creation must grasp the wonder of the miracles must have some theory of the atonement must understand the inspiration of the scriptures and must be able to prove the immortality of the soul i fancied that it was necessary before proceeding with confidence to see the trees and the houses and the towers of the distant city unless all these are clear to me i said to myself i can never make the port i have since discovered my mistake i do not need to see the houses and the trees and the things along the shore i only need to see the pile light i do not need to see everything i only need to see something i have a life with christ to live but ere i live it must i wait till learning can clear answer give of this and that book's date i have a life in christ to live i have a death in christ to die and must i wait till science give all doubts a full reply nay rather while the sea of doubt is raging wildly round about questioning of life and death and sin let me but creep within thy fold o christ and at thy feet take but the lowest seat and hear thine own awful voice repeat in gentlest accents heavenly sweet come unto me and rest believe me and be blessed that is all but it is enough it is not everything but it is the pile light standing out bravely through the mist as soon as we saw the pile light we quickly left the fog behind us so did bunyan wife said he i must go to jesus and at this my former darkness and atheism fled away and the blessed things of heaven were set in my view that is the precise counterpart of our experience in the bay what are your speculations asked a friend who stood beside the deathbed of michael faraday speculations he replied in astonishment speculations 
I have none. But I know whom I have believed. I rest my soul upon certainties. It is a great thing, when the mists of death are closing in on every side, to approach the last report with the outline of the pile-light in full view. End of Part 1, Chapter 3